The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC, and here's your top five at five. Volatility, the name of the game for stocks, as continued concerns about the Fed rattling investors. A fourth round of COVID shots on the horizon. Moderna CEO suggesting more jabs may be needed. Your morning RBI maybe offers up a little good news on when this Omicron and COVID surge may burn out. The meme stocks make a return with shares of GameStop surging. On word, it's getting into the business of NFTs. Automakers amplifying their EV ambitions. Companies pour money into expanding their offerings, but this week's winter weather raising questions about the viability of going gasless. And just in time for the final week of football, New York State rolling the dice on mobile sports gambling and billions in wagers. It's all happening on this Friday, January 4th. This is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan and TGIF. Everyone, what a week it has been, but we're not done yet. And here's how the markets and your money are setting up their Friday futures. They are mixed. NASDAQ futures, they are down once again. Big tech still struggling to start the year. Stocks yesterday pulling back in the final hour of trading. But once again, oil and gas and banks, the winners in the session. That has been the trend. I know it's early, but it's been the trend so far in 2022. Well, today we get the December monthly jobs number. Overall expectations are for about 400,000 jobs added after November's dismal 210,000. Remember, though, that number is the average. 422 is the actual number. The estimates, though, vary widely. So that's just kind of the midpoint there. The unemployment rate expected to tick up to 4.2%. Well, ahead of that report, let's get a check on bonds. Now, after rising yields to start the year, the 10-year yield, Right now, it's holding steady at about 1.73%. Guess, though, what is on the rise? That is oil. Crude oil, back above 80 bucks this morning. It's on increased demand, reduced supply out of Libya, concerns about Kazakhstan, cold weather. By the way, that number also means gasoline prices are going to be on the rise. Maybe take the opportunity today to fill up now. And checking crypto, all amid the continued, well, continued hurt. Bitcoin still below 43,000. And again, watch those protests in Kazakhstan and ongoing internet shutdowns in the world's second biggest Bitcoin mining hub, as well as potential price impacts. Kazakhstan matters to crypto, believe it or not. And that may be one of the reasons we are seeing weakness across all the cryptos in the last few days. You can see there they're all down across the board right now. All right, we've got a lot to do, and let us move on here on this Friday and go worldwide. Juliana Tottlebaum is in our London newsroom with a look at their early Friday trade across Europe. Juliana, happy Friday. 
Brian, good morning. Happy Friday to you. And I think many around the world would echo your words, TGIF. What a week it's been. Yesterday, the stock 600 pulled back, logging its first negative day of the year, about one and a quarter percent lower. Uh, of course, that was a bit of a catch-up trade because European markets had closed before those FOMC minutes came out and drove U.S. stocks lower. This morning, though, the losses are continuing, but fairly contained in terms of the magnitude. We've got the German market down about 0.4 percent, the CAC 40 down 16 basis points or so. The Spanish market seeing some weakness. Over in Italy, the FTSE MIB has been the most resilient of the regions all morning. That index up about four-tenths of a percent. FTSE 100 also showing some resilience, basically flat right now. And that is because the basic resources sector is outperforming. This is what the picture looks like from a sector perspective. Uh, FTSE 100 heavily weighted towards those mining stocks, and that basket is up 1.6 percent. Technology also getting a bit of a boost this morning, up 0.6 percent, and is the chip makers within that basket that are performing best, ST Micro, uh, one of the majors, but all of the chip makers are performing well this morning. On the downside, travel and leisure, the laggard down 1.5%. Brian? All right, Juliana, thank you very much. Juliana Tatabam in London right now. Let's get a check on some of this morning's other top headlines, including shares of Shamal Group Holdings falling in overnight trading on worries over, guess what? It's debt problems that reignites Chinese property sector concerns that started with Evergrande Group. Shamal has defaulted on a trust loan payment and is working to delay payments on asset-backed securities. Shamal says it does not expect issues related to that trust loan will trigger investor demands for early debt repayment, stressing it plans to speed up asset sales to strengthen its balance sheet. Where have we heard that one before? Now, back here at home, hospitals in Massachusetts are going to change the way they report COVID hospitalizations. The state's Department of Public Health saying that hospitals will now differentiate between patients they admit for COVID versus those admitted for another issue who end up testing positive with COVID. New York announced a similar move earlier this week as more states go to do that, folks. That is something we have been talking about on this show now with doctors and hospital executives For a while, it's a big deal. Think about this. You make that change, you get more clear public data, but you might also see a a very quick drop in hospitalizations merely because of the way they classify them. Just something to note. Also in corporate news on this Friday, Lululemon tapping a former Amazon executive to lead its at-home gym unit. Company naming Michael Aragon, CEO of Mirror saying he will oversee Lululemon's broader digital aspirations. Aragon was previously chief content officer of Amazon Live's streaming business, Twitch. He also held positions at Sony, helping to grow the PlayStation Network. Well, the Fed has to be the story of the year so far. It's spooking the markets and investors this week, signaling they could become more aggressive on both tightening policy and the beginning of the unwind of the record-breaking eight-plus trillion dollar balance sheet. Speaking yesterday on Closing Bell, Bridgewater Associates' Ray Dalio says he believes the Fed will not take it too far and hurt the economy. The problem with that tightening of monetary policy is that there's a great deal of interest rate sensitivity. And because it's gotten so far and so extreme, Just the pulling back of that is a very delicate thing. But I would expect that if you understand the short-term cycle, this typically seven-year type of cycle in terms of expansions and recessions, uh, it's the beginning of the testing of the brakes.
All right, let's continue the conversation and bring in Josh Wine, Portfolio Manager at Hennessy Funds. Josh, Happy New Year. Good to see you again. Do you think that the Fed, in one way or another, is going to screw up this stock's party, for lack of a better term? I Well, good morning. I think no matter what they do, someone's going to say they screwed up. I don't think they will. I think they've been you know, very forthcoming about where we are, and, it, and and they've certainly admitted some mistakes around their view of inflation, whether it was transitory or transient or temporary. So, no, I, I, I would, you know, agree. I think they are highly sensitive to, you know, ruining the economy, ruining this great run in the stock market. Uh, but I think they're aware of that, and I think we're aware that they're aware. Yeah, does it change the way you look at your portfolio or the way you invest, Josh? Well, it's a great question because that's what really matters. I mean, the Fed, you know, they're – they do what they do and we have to kind of react and adjust or, or maybe not so much. So I would say a couple of things. One, you know, I think the earnings growth story is solid. I think the economy obviously is is on a nice growth trajectory. I think it will slow quite a bit this year, but that was, you know, that's inevitable uh, in a lot of people's view, including my own. I would say it's a multiple story. So what are people willing to pay for, you know, for earnings? So you know, multiples are maybe slightly stretched in certain parts of the market, you know, certain certainly some of the growthier parts of the market. Uh, and so it brings me back to things like utilities where, you know, there's a relative lack of business risk. There's, you know, consistent and somewhat predictable earnings growth. Uh, and certainly just, you know, I think there are fewer unknowns when it comes to something like utilities or, or any name like a utility. We're making a, a big deal about the 10-year bond yield move, maybe as we should, Josh, because it has been pretty violent and pretty rapid, but context is key. The 10-year yield at 1.73 is just back to where we were last April. It was at 3%, by the way, back in September of 2018. So we've come up, but we have been a lot higher even in just the last couple of years. What do we make of that move? Something to worry about? Yeah, it's a great point. It's easy to forget because I think we were at one three a few weeks ago, and and it seemed, you know, like you know there was a case to be made that it would go lower. So I agree with you. I think putting it in context, we're still, you know, we're going to have negative real rates for quite some time here. You know, whether the Fed raises two, three, four times, you know, certainly the short end of the curve and and out in ten year land, it's going to be negative for quite some time. Very accommodative, very much, you know, easy yep. money. Uh, that's, that's here. It's not here to stay, but it's here for a while. Uh, so, you know, that's been very giving a bit yeah, to very the market quickly, and we'll Josh, continue to. We like to call them Opportunity Fridays here, give investors and our viewers and listeners actionable ideas every single Friday. Well, every day, but really on Fridays. Right. You mentioned utilities. Exactly. Any of those you like more than others? Sure. Yeah, I would point out, you know, Sempra, uh, as well as Southern Company. And so, you know, it's a bit of a yield story uh, and, and also a multiple story. And, and just, you know, utilities had a good year last year. It was not S&P 500 good. It was about half that. Uh, so we're looking for a little bit more mind share around utilities, uh, the dividend growth story, uh, a, a compelling multiple. And, and also in a name like Sempra, you know, there is some you know, exposure to LNG exportation, which is a story that's been well covered. Uh, spot prices in the U.S. versus abroad, that spread is quite wide. Uh, and, uh, you know, a push toward electrification, which is in its early yeah. days. But when that takes hold, 
at some point. You know, I think there's a little bit of a wind at the back of utilities that wasn't there before. All right, we are watching Sempra Energy. Josh Wine, appreciate the actionable ideas on this Friday. Josh, happy new year. We'll see you again here soon on CNBC. Take care. Have a good weekend. All right, we have got a lot more to do here on this Friday, folks. When we come back, your morning's big money movers, including Samsung, is earnings getting a big boost on big demand for their chips. Plus, more on the COVID front, and new comments from Moderna's CEO, can you believe it, saying a fourth shot may now be needed. And later on, outrage over trading by Federal Reserve officials back in the spotlight. It's over new disclosures by one top central bank official. If you're not mad, you're not paying attention. Very busy hours still ahead. Stick around. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. All right, welcome back. Time now for your big money movers. The three key stock stories of the day. Let's go. First up, stock one, Samsung. Shares jumping after announcing its fourth quarter operating profit likely rose to its highest level since 2017. That profit was helped by demand for memory chips, as well as higher margins in chip contract manufacturing. Stock two, GameStop. Big story here. Shares are soaring after the Wall Street Journal reported the company will be developing its own marketplace for NFTs. GameStop also reportedly exploring cryptocurrency partnerships and expects to enter into deals with a dozen or more crypto companies this year. By the way, we'll get more on some crazy GameStop options activity with John Nigerian a bit later on in the show. Oh, and other meme stocks riding that pop as well with AMC, BlackBerry, and Bed Bath & Beyond all rising overnight. And stock three, Digital World Acquisition. Shares of this SPAC tied to a planned social media app backed by former President Trump surging. The gains on signs the app has a target launch date, with the Apple App Store indicating it could go live as early as next month. Well, the EV wars just took another big shot. GM has unveiled its new Silverado all-electric pickup. GM CEO Mary Barra saying it's sold out after 12 minutes from the formal announcement. Wow. It all comes as appetite for electric pickups continues to grow, with Ford recently announcing plans to double its production capacity this year. So could 2022 be the year of the EV? Or will battery troubles, or maybe even bad weather, get in the way of some of these high expectations? Joining us now is Tim Higgins, tech reporter at the Wall Street Journal, also a CNBC contributor. Tim, good to have you back on the program these numbers out of Ford, those sales numbers out of GM, they are very impressive. One of my predictions for this year, if anybody cares, 
is that EVs will hit 10% of the U.S. auto sales market up for 3%. But where I think I could be wrong is lack of battery availability. What may be the weak point in EVs? Is that it or something else? You hit it exactly on the head there. Availability of those cells that are in the car, um, that's going to be the race among all these automakers to supply the vehicles with these components, but also convincing uh, you know, mass adoption uh, of electric cars, going to people who aren't just uh, early adopters, who aren't just into the kind of the idea of a zero emission vehicle, getting into the, the everyday uh, vehicle buyer is, is still uh, you know, an issue for car makers uh, across the U.S., and how are we looking with battery availability? Because I don't think people realize that the average electric car uses about 180 pounds of copper. They use a ton of lithium. These batteries are heavy. They're hard to make. They're expensive, but they are, of course, coming down like all technology does. What's the issue on batteries? Raw materials? Well, it, it's there's... Several things going on here. A, you've got the overall supply chain issues, just the cars and other products around the world are experiencing. But then when it comes to those cells and those vehicles, it's just having enough of them. Uh, you got to remember, you look at a company like Tesla, and when they're looking at the world and how many vehicles they're going to do, many years ago, they started kind of doing the math, and they came to the realization that for the Model 3, for the, the plans that Elon Musk had, they were going to essentially be using the world's supply of lithium-ion cells. And that's why they built that giant facility uh, outside of Reno, Nevada, uh, so they could su start supplying the, the cells they were going to need just for the Model 3. And that it was at a period of time when it was just them, and, and kind of everybody thought they were crazy. Now you've got all of these automakers rushing to put uh, on the road their own EVs, and it, it comes down to just kind of a rush and a race to put uh, cell capacity in the world. Yeah, it's kind of amazing. I mean, Jim Cramer sort of highlighting how smart Tesla is, saying that everybody seems to be worried about battery availability except for Tesla. All right, let's move on, Tim. I want to talk about something weird, and that is the weather. Okay, these snowstorms in Virginia, I know an anomaly. A lot of people stranded on the highway saying they were running their engines to get heat. They'd shut it off. Heat, shut it off. I think even Tim Kaine, uh, the congressman from Virginia, saying that, thank God he had a full tank of gas. California, blackouts, wildfires. point I'm trying to make is you wonder, will these kinds of weather anomalies that are increasingly common make people rethink their purchasing because they just think, I just, I just need to make sure I'm going to be able to run my vehicle when I need to. We, you, you know, you're hitting an interesting, interesting idea here that, uh, you know, even a gas car would have problems in these kind of uh, fringe cases. Uh, but when it comes to an electric vehicle, uh, it's still a new technology. And if it's an excuse for some in the mainstream not to buy it, then, yeah, it could have an effect, right? You can look at the, the, the consumer's reasoning for buying a car right at this point, and you see this race from car companies to extend the range of the charge on an electric vehicle to get beyond 300 miles, 400 miles, perhaps beyond that into the 500-mile range because of this concern of range anxiety. Uh, you know, the, the typical customer probably isn't going to go more than 40 miles in a day and doesn't really need all that range. But then when they're buying yeah. the car, they're thinking, well, hey, I'm going to go on my summer vacation. I'm going to go see grandma and I want to have enough range there. And that one time. So the car companies are really having to struggle to have crazy range for that one time a year.
And that, well, that's it though, Tim, a car from mo, unless you're rich enough to have multiple cars, right? You know, a car has to be usable a hundred percent of the time. And people say, well, 95% of the time you charge at home. I get that. That's cool. Electric cars are amazing and they're fast. And they're fun to drive. But for a lot of people, they need that twice a year road trip. It's a big deal. Yeah, absolutely. And what, that's why we've seen in the past one of the, the ways that a company like Tesla has tried to address that is with these fast charging stations that they have placed pretty much all across the U.S. where you're going to take a yeah. road trip, uh, trying to make it a, a, almost like going to a gas station experience where you can do it you know, in and out. But the problem is, uh, you know, for other car makers, they don't have that kind of capacity yet. And there's a really a race to put the infrastructure in in the near term. Yeah. Uh, it's going to mimic the gas station experience with the plug. I learned that baking in the Barstow, California heat in August, driving an electric car 500 miles. Tim Higgins, The Wall Street Journal. Tim, we appreciate your points of view. Have a great weekend. Talk to you again soon. Thank you very much. By the way, folks, this is why Sheets and Wawa and Bucky's they are the future of electric cars. Because when you're sitting there charging, you go in and get a Slurpee or whatever, a big bite, and hang out with your family. All right. A lot to do on this Friday on deck. The December jobs number is out at 8.30. RBC's Tom Porcelli is here, laying out why he sees a tight labor market sticking around for the rest of the year. Hope you stick around. We're back right after this. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. All right, welcome back. Hope you're having a good start to your Friday. Why don't we get a check on some of this morning's other key headlines outside of money and business, including the latest on that big winter storm, as well as the growingly violent situation in Kazakhstan. NBC's Corey Coffin is in New York now with that and more. Corey, good morning. Brian, good morning to you. Russia has sent troops into Kazakhstan to help the government stop the ongoing unrest in that country. According to the Associated Press, President Tokayev claims this morning that constitutional order has been, quote, mainly restored. But he added that, quote, terrorists are still using weapons. He vowed to continue cracking down. Days of protests over high fuel prices and corruption have been met with harsh violence by Kazakh security forces, leaving dozens dead. Thousands have also been arrested. And you talked about that winter weather. It is rocking the country. Shocking video from Wyoming Highway Patrol here shows a narrow, mi- a narrow miss. One of their troopers narrowly escaping an out-of-control car. Both the trooper and the driver are thankfully okay, but it is a warning for drivers to use caution and slow down. Traffic in Kentucky was brought to a standstill. As many as 30 cars were involved in this pileup here. Just one of dozens of accidents reported across the region. As the system pushes east, more than 80 million Americans face the threat of heavy snow and wind. That system is now dumping snow across the northeast. 
And finally, tennis star Novak Djokovic is staying put in Australia, at least for now. With the Australian border force canceling his visa, Djokovic is in an immigration detention hotel until Monday. He's awaiting a ruling on whether or not he can stay in the country. Djokovic said he had an exemption from Australia's strict COVID vaccination regulations. Australia says it's investigating the visas of other foreign tennis players as well. Of course, the Open starts a week from Monday, January 17th, Brian. Yeah, less staying put, Corey, and more I'm trapped in a quarantine hotel that I don't want to be in. But we'll see what happens with Djokovic. Corey, thank you. We're all eagerly awaiting. Yes, yes. They don't mess around, by the way, in Australia. Still, cases are spiking anyway. Corey, thank you. All right. A lot more to do on this Friday. Still on deck. Forget Return of the Jedi and the Ewoks. How about Return of the Reddit crowd favorites? John Najarian is here laying out the Bigs options action. He is seeing around GameStop. These numbers John's going to throw at you are going to blow your mind. And by the way, if you haven't already, be sure to follow our podcast. Available anywhere podcasts are available. Futures, they are mixed to slightly lower. And we are back right after this. Down one day, up the next. More volatility on tap to close out the week. Investors gearing up for the monthly jobs number and how that data may impact the Fed's next move. Moderna CEO suggesting another round of shots may be needed. Wow. Your morning RBI laying out potentially, though, the positive signs on the Omicron surge and when the pandemic may actually end. And another Fed official facing scrutiny over his trading and questions around timing about central bank moves. It's all happening on this Friday, January 7th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Oh, welcome or welcome back, and good Friday morning, everybody. I am Brian Sullivan. Thank you for joining us. I think I speak for all of you when I say TGIF. Wow, it's like an eight-day week this week. All right, let's get a check down your Friday money stock futures. Before the break, I said to you they were down. I lied. I just outright fibbed. They're higher now. This is what happens in the morning, folks. Things move quickly. A couple guys come in and start trading, and the futures turn around because the volume is pretty low. So I'm happy to report I was wrong. Fonzie couldn't say it, but I can. I was wrong. Stock futures, they are higher. Now, the markets did drop a bit on Thursday, but not everything dropped. Yeah, the indexes were down, but inside the indexes, like we talked about yesterday with Mike Santoli, a lot of winners. Oil and gas and financials, once again, the big winners, not only yesterday, but also so far in the trading year. As Fun Strats, Tom Lee points out, oil and gas ETFs are looking at nice gains this first week. They have been bullish on the OIH. Well, guess what? They're getting off to a nice start to the year, so hat tip to Tom Lee and team. Financials up there as well. Let's take a look at the best-performing ETF so far in 2022. I know it's early, not even a weekend, but the OIH, what Tom Lee's been pounding the table on, is up 13% in four days. The Energy Select Spider, the XLE, up 9%. Then you got a bank ETF, the KBE up 7.5%, the iShares Natural Resources ETF up nearly 5%, and the XLF widely owned financial sector spider up 4% as well. Well, speaking of oil and gas, price of oil on the move again today. In fact, back above 80 bucks a barrel. A couple of reasons. Increased demand. People thinking Omicron and maybe even the pandemic will be over soon. You got cold weather in North Dakota and Canada restricting pipeline flows. 
and Libya, with about a quarter of its output offline due to civil war and warlord issues. So price of oil back above 80 bucks a barrel. If you're not driving an EV, fill up your gas tank now. All right. Now let's get some of this morning's other top headlines. The Federal Reserve facing fresh scrutiny over investments by top officials following a disclosure by Vice Chairman Richard Clarida. According to reports, amendments to financial disclosures show that Clarida sold at least $1 million worth of shares in a U.S. stock fund back in February of 2020, right before the pandemic hit. Clarida had previously revealed he bought a similar amount of that fund just before Fed Chairman Jay Powell's pandemic policy efforts by the central bank. The new revelation comes as Clarida's term is set to expire at the end of the month. Moderna CEO says a fourth vaccine shot could be a real possibility. Speaking during Goldman Sachs' healthcare conference, Stefan Bansell cited waning efficacy of current boosters against COVID over time for the additional dose of the vaccine. Bansell said that people who received their boosters this past fall will likely have enough protection, though, to get them through the winter. And the ongoing headaches for air travelers continues. Airlines canceling more than 1,000 flights for the 12th straight day yesterday amid continued bad weather and crew members facing COVID. However, some relief could be on the way. According to industry watchers, with the flight schedule easing after the holidays, January generally has the lightest travel schedule of the year, but still a lot of people suffering out there. Yeah, the lines have been long. All right, let's get back now to the markets and maybe get back to the return of the Reddit crowd favorites, roaring their heads once again. GameStop leading the charge, maybe on word it will create a marketplace for NFTs and explore crypto partnerships. All the GameStops and the AMCs and the Blackberries of the world, they are higher right now. But those stock moves pale in comparison to what is happening with the options. Everybody pales in comparison to John Adjerian, Market Rebellion co-founder, <laughs> CNBC contributor, good friend, all-around good guy. Yeah, you know I'm gonna just—I'm just gonna, you know, rub it on thick, John, because I, I know you're getting up at whatever the heck time it is for you out there. We appreciate it, though. What the heck is going on with GameStop options? Right. Well, Brian, an awful lot of speculation before that NFT news was announced yesterday, um, and as soon as that news hit the tape, of course, the stock jumped almost 30 percent in the after hours. It, it held on to better than 23% of that jump. But to your point about how much those options moved, um, you know, they were buying options at the 130 strike, which was at the money, the 135, the 145, the 150, in really big numbers, Brian, even big for GameStop. Uh, so when they're buying those options, some of which were only 19 cents, uh, for instance, for those 50 calls, those 150 calls, gave the buyer, of course, the right to buy the stock at 150, which is now trading through 160. You paid 19 cents for something that went to $10. So your return on that, just amazing. And a lot of these folks that were really hoping, or maybe they were more than hoping, maybe they had an inkling yeah. Uh, that something like this might yeah. be coming. Uh, they had one day to be right, Brian, one day, because they were buying them yesterday. And here we get the news and they're cashing out, I'm sure, and feeling pretty good today. 
so what you're saying, John, if I'm reading between the Nigerian lines, is that either a large group of traders just got spectacularly lucky in a 24-hour window, or maybe not. I mean, it just the timing is coincidental, as they might say. Yeah, it certainly is, Brian. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, I don't know that any of these folks really got the, the nod from the leadership over at GameStop. But this was this rumor was circulating on social media, in particular Reddit, um, that something would be coming down the pike last night or today. And those kinds of rumors have been out there before and they've not worked out. Um, but in this case, this makes up for a lot of those that didn't work out. Uh, so I'd say uh, this will be one of the most actively traded names today in those meme stocks. And I can't really see how AMC plays into the NFT craze, uh, but I can certainly see GameStop with what they're doing right now. Uh, I could see this being a player in that space. Yeah, big move there. By the way, congratulations. A lot of people making a lot of money. So we always like that here on CNBC. Outside of GameStop, John, what do you make of the market action so far in 2022? Big tech has been slammed. Hey, but oil and gas has been on fire this year. Yeah, just like you said about Tom Lee, um, a great call by the Fundstrat team. And Brian, uh, I think we hit 65 um, and uh, that was just as Omicron uh, was announced out of South Africa during more or less Thanksgiving weekend. We're through 80 now, and a lot of those gains just came this week, uh, that big push. And that's being reflected also over into the alternative energies, things like uh, uranium. Uh, we had Camco, huge trade in Camco as that stock pushed up. Uh, you yeah. know, nearly double digits the other day. Same thing over with UU, UU. Um, those are two of the bigger players in that space. And so when energy's hot, everything in energy's hot. Well, the, the EU didn't get a lot of attention. The EU sort of quietly adding nuclear and natural gas to its green policy initiatives, saying basically those are considered green, John. So nuclear may finally get a chance. It may indeed. Well, thank you, Brian. I agree with you. I'm keeping my eye on them. John, well, it's all about you, 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 you. Thank you for coming on. It is. Have a great weekend, <laughs> my friend. <laughs> thank you, Brian. All right, take care. Good Friday, John. We'll see you on the other side. All right, coming up, place your bets in New York. Mobile sports betting beating tomorrow in New York State. Contessa Brewer up next on just how high the stakes really are and why... One Starbucks in Fort Lee may be in trouble. But as we head to break, some of your other top stories. This summer's Electronic Entertainment Expo, thankfully known better as E3, is reportedly moving to an all-virtual event, all because of, you know, the pandemic. Now, the event is not until June, but organizers have to make the call now because they've got to sign up companies, plan space, and do the normal planning things. The U.S. International Trade Commission confirming an earlier ruling that Google infringed on Sonos speaker patents. As a result, Google will now be prohibited from importing products found to have violated Sonos's IP. Google says it does not expect the ruling to impact its ability to import and sell its devices. And Apple CEO Tim Cook, he got paid last year. 
Tim Cook made $98.7 million in total comp in 2021. Last year's numbers released in a new SEC filing. Pay includes $3 million in salary, a $12 million bonus for hitting targets, $82 million in stock awards. Not bad. Of course, it is a $3 trillion company. Futures are higher across the board. Oil at 80, and we're back after this. All right, welcome back. Do you want to gamble on sports in New York and not have to schlep to New Jersey to do it? Well, it is now game on. The state finally letting people gamble just in time for the NFL's final regular season weekend. And the move also means big money for the state and companies that were given the green light to take the bets. Contessa Brewer joining us now. Contessa, I don't know if you remember this. Near CNBC's headquarters, there's a Starbucks in Fort Lee, New Jersey. And at one point, somebody said it was the sports gambling capital of America because all these New Yorkers would drive across the George Washington Bridge to Fort Lee and need a place to hang out to place their bets no longer. Yeah, well, imagine if you live downstate, you live in and around New York City, you'd have to drive an hour and a half to the upstate sports book where you can gamble in person or you can spend maybe half an hour getting, it depends on the George Washington Bridge or the Lincoln Tunnel. You know, gamblers could just go across the bridge to New Jersey. So beginning tomorrow morning, 9 a.m., four companies have the green light to launch mobile sports betting apps in New York State. Caesars, DraftKings, FanDuel, and Rush Street Interactive will have the first go. That's followed by PointsBet. Uh, Bet MGM, Resorts World, and WinBet later this month. The timing is really good news here for the operators because they're getting this approval ahead of the NFL playoffs. Those approvals were expected closer to the Super Bowl. This gives them a few more weeks then to make some cash. New York State expects a half a billion dollars in tax revenue by 2025. And why not? It's charging one of the highest tax rates in the nation. It's early adopting neighbor to the West, New Jersey, has a 13% tax rate. This could be a real blow, though, to New Jersey's tax revenue because currently an estimated 20% of New Jersey's mobile betting, Brian, comes from New Yorkers crossing those Bridger tunnels to place a bet. And industry analysts uh, generally believe that New York is the most populous state so far to launch mobile sports betting could quickly surpass New Jersey's handle, the amount of money that's wagered, and soon reach a billion dollars in annual sports betting revenue alone. The handle, they think, maybe could be $10 billion every year. I, I want to know how much money that the Port Authority might lose on tolls. All those people driving to New Jersey got to drive back. And when you drive into New York, as our viewers know, you got to pay 14 bucks in tolls in the tunnels of the GWB. That's a lot of money, too. All right. Now that sports betting is going live, Contessa, in New York, are we going to just get crushed by ads trying to get them to play as we do in New Jersey? I mean, my Twitter stream, phone, everything is like, get 20 bucks free on your first $2 bet. That's my gambling voice. <laughs> you know, the algorithms can target some of that to susceptible People, But I'm just saying, Caesars, we know, has a well-publicized billion-dollar marketing plan to launch the Caesars Sportsbook app. Uh, but I heard from Daniel Adam from Loop Capital yesterday putting out a note saying, look, because there's only four operators launching tomorrow, they don't have all of that stiff competition. Perhaps the promotional spend 
will be more modest than what we've seen, for instance, in Arizona, where things just went crazy. And so did the gambling. It's been a very successful launch in Arizona. But we do know that Caesars has the uh, marketing buy already. But that's that's actually assuming that you don't already have all of these people who've been exposed to the advertising during football, you know, during the NFL, they make national ad buys. So even people in states who can't gamble have been exposed to it already, Brian, just waiting for it to happen. Yeah. And guess what? I'm going to be gambling on my Chargers Sunday night. I literally can test that I'm taking Monday off just so I can watch the Chargers Raiders on Sunday night. Because the schedule, I'm literally taking a vacation day to watch the game, have some drinks, have some wings, place some bets. But I always bet on, you know who? Contessa Brewer to cover 100% of the time. Always. Thank you, friend. Thank you, Contessa. All right, on deck. When will the pandemic, or at least Omicron, finally end? Your morning RBI will lay out Morgan Stanley's three Omicron scenarios. Best mid and worst case. All right, welcome back. No insider buying this Friday because some blackout restrictions over the holidays. We'll get it back when we can. So today we're going to give you a bonus RBI. And today's, let's get random, but interesting on everybody's favorite topic, the pandemic. All right, not true. We know you're probably tired of hearing about it, but maybe this will be a little bit of good news. Morgan Stanley analyst Matthew Harrison, who's been on this show many times and has done a great job analyzing where things are heading, just came out with some Omicron projections, maybe around the whole pandemic. And he laid out three scenarios for where this is going. First is so-called bull case, super fast spread like it has been. Omicron peaks in one to two weeks or just mid-January. Think that's nuts? By the way, Fundstrat and Columbia University researchers both agree with that timeline. Now, that is not Harrison's base case, though. The base case is a slight drop in transmission rate, and thus the number of Omicron cases peak in about three to six weeks or the end of January to maybe mid-February. And then there's the so-called bear scenario. Omicron hits what he calls an elongated plateau, and I'm sorry to say, pretty much affects or infects everybody in America. That scenario would cause a peak in one and a half to two months. Now, that's obviously not what people want to hear. It's scary. But because all Omicron is weaker, people are COVID and get just flabby nervous. But consider that even in that scenario, Omicron could peak by mid-March. That is just two months from now. And unless some crazy new strain pops up, maybe, maybe, just maybe, this burns out the pandemic once and for all. I don't know about you, but pretty much everybody I know, literally everyone, as somebody who is themselves positive or has someone positive at home right now. Stay safe and be hopeful. It will end. Random, but interesting. Well, of course, the pandemic is once again rocking the jobs market, causing disruptions with airlines, businesses, and schools, like sadly for kids in Chicago. Schools have been closed much of the week. But will that impact today's jobs number? No, because the numbers were collected mid-December. Those numbers are expected to show that payrolls probably added about 422,000 jobs. Let's talk more about it all with Tom Porcelli. He is chief U.S. economist at RBC Capital Markets. And Tom, I don't want to I don't want to throw water on the uh, our coverage all day on CNBC Mm -hmm. on this number. But because this number was collected mid-December and Omicron has boomed late December and now, 
How do we look at this number any differently or no? I, I, well, I actually, Brian, well, good morning, first of all. Um, you know, look, what, what, what I would say is I, I don't know if I was looking at the summer anyway. <laughs> and, and I'm an economist, right? Uh, so he, he, here's what I mean. I, I think, you know, with um, aside from Omicron or Delta, which, you know, they've clearly showed up um, in the mix of jobs and in the mix of spending from uh, um, an, an economic perspective. Um, instead, what I would say is, we have so much labor market data in hand um, that really shows that we're, we're in incredibly tight labor markets. I mean, we're 4.2% on the unemployment rate. Right? We're, 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 we're within a, you know, a stone's throw of, of being at max employment, um, despite Delta, right, um, you know, in spite yeah. of Omicron. So, I, I mean, I, I think that, you know, we have ADP from uh, earlier this week in hand. It printed 800,000 jobs. Um, I, I don't know that there's anything that's going to happen today with the payroll report that's really going to surprise us. Um, and again, you, you're, you're spot on. Uh, you know, all this data is collected in mid-month. Um, but I, I would submit to you that even after we get past, you know, this number and we roll into the January report, I don't know that Omicron is, is going to be a game changer. I mean, Powell has been right on this, on this one thing in particular, which is to say each, each wave of, of COVID has really had less and less economic impact. So I don't know that I would make a, a big storyline yeah. around Omicron and this payroll report. I, I think that we're at tight well, labor markets. I think that labor market is going to remain tight over the balance of the year. Well, listen, we are in the Northeast, and there's going to be people that probably get furloughed from their jobs in New York City and Boston and D.C. because of what's happening now. Yep. It's easy. We look at that and we say, oh, these people are going to lose their jobs because of, because of you know the covid what we forget is that about 90 percent of the country has kind of moved on and they're yeah. they're living like half America like lived, never had a pandemic. I, <laughs> I traveled all over the country in the last yeah. 18 months, not being rude about it. They just people just moved on. They just went to restaurants and went to proms and and whatever. So we get a little caught up here. If we get an eight hundred thousand dollar or eight hundred thousand print or something today, Tom, something like this, does it affect yeah. the Fed's timing and thinking? No, I, I, I don't think it's about labor at this point a, a, any longer. So, so, so here's just a, some very, and I know we're probably running short here, so let me just be really quick on this. I think what you have to keep in mind is if you think about 21, the year 21, we printed on average about 550,000 jobs per month. We're not going to do that in 22. I mean, we're probably going to print half of that. Um, so, uh, you know, job growth just on sort of a, a sequential change basis is going to slow. I think the, for the Fed, the shift has already occurred. I don't think it's really about the labor market nearly as it, it is as much about inflation. I mean, we're going to get inflation print next uh, next week. Um, and I think that is the thing um, that probably ushers in a, a faster tightening cycle. I mean, I, I think the market is right to price in very high probability uh, of a March hike. And at this point, it's entirely about inflation more so than the labor backdrop. Yeah, I think you're right. Inflation data trumping the jobs data. But still, it is an important number. We are watching it. Tom Porcelli, I always appreciate watching you, my friend. Have a great weekend. Thank you very much. Take care. And folks, that does it for us here on a Friday Worldwide Exchange. I'm off Monday to watch the Chargers Sunday night. Go Bolts. I'll see you on Tuesday. Squawking the gang, picking up the jobs day coverage next. Have a great weekend. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, 
No one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.